Hey, it's Luke. It's January 2024. The pod is back. There's a new mayor, new council members, new energy, and some of the same old fights at Spokane City Hall. This week, I'm joined by Nate Sanford, City Hall reporter at The Inlander, and Range's own Aaron Sellers to talk about a big change this new council has already made to the structure of its weekly open public forum at city council meetings, the arguments in favor of those changes, and the fierce opposition to changing anything at all. Over the years, the Open Public Forum has been a place where people from across the region, actually, not just residents of Spokane, come and make their voices heard on almost anything. Although the almost anything part is one of the things that will theoretically be changing, but it's going to be fascinating to see how they change in practice. And in the time I've been paying attention, the forum has become easily... (laughs) the most vibrant and occasionally wild civic game in town. In just the last few months, large groups have shown up to protest euthanasia practices at Scraps, Spokane County's publicly funded animal shelter, to plea for recognition of the impacts of anti-Arab hate and Islamophobia. It's where people came to demand censure of Mayor Woodward for getting on stage with Matt Shea, and conversely, where people came to protest the idea that you would ever censure anyone for praying, regardless of who they were praying with. People who use it regularly say it's perhaps the most important opportunity people have to hold their council members accountable on the actual record. A lot of political work happens behind closed doors, but this is a rare opportunity to critique or support our electeds and leave a permanent record of that dissent or praise. It's also a place for some of the region's most and least lovable cranks to vent spleen. It's where George McGrath, a man who lived in Spokane Valley, described the U-District pedestrian bridge as the bridge to Hookerville, a name that kind of stuck for a while during construction. It's also where our guest Nate, after a long night of City Hall reporting, was tempted to snack on the wine and wafers left by a participant who recently asked council to take communion with them. He left it when he left, so all of the rest of the speakers that night just gave their their testimony in front of wafers. I kind of wanted to grab some. It's a late night meeting. (laughs) When council walked out in the middle of a meeting late last year, it was during open public forum. Former council president Ben Stuckert only ever adjourned a meeting early once in his tenure. When he did, it was because of comments made during open public forum. It's impossible to exaggerate how important the forum is to the people who use it regularly. It's also hard to exaggerate how frequently frustrating it is for the council members who don't like it very much, and there are those. Organizers we spoke to recently say they think they've moved lawmakers, though, to change their minds on important issues just in the last couple months, and you'll hear us talk about that a little bit. Stuckert, for his part, told me a couple months ago he thinks the decision to gavel that meeting closed harmed his run for mayor in 2019. People never forgave me for that, he said. And whether you love or loathe open forum doesn't fit party affiliations or political ideologies cleanly. You're going to hear us talk in detail about all of this, but one of the things I find fascinating is how this vote briefly made free speech allies of Paul Dillon, who is probably the council's most progressive new member, and the council's two conservatives, although Jonathan Bingle ultimately voted to support the changes despite not liking them very much. It's a really fascinating discussion and an important one, I think. So let's get to it. The Inlanders Nate Sanford... Ranges Aaron Sellers and me on the characteristics and characters of Spokane's Open Public Forum. Coming up. I'm Luke Baumgarten, and this is Range.
Nate, you're the City Hall reporter for the Inlander. We're talking about open public forums. Let's just start at the beginning. Open public forum, what is it? It's everything and anything. It's the chance for the public to speak their mind and talk directly to politicians. You have two minutes, you can say whatever's on your mind. The question that's been kind of up in the air right now is that it also says that whatever you talk about has to be within the affairs of the city. So that's been a question for the last couple of months is what are the affairs of the city and how does that limit what you can talk about? Yeah, because that can be very broadly defined. Right. Um, On a technical level, there are 15 slots per week, right? So every Monday night, Spokane City Council meets to pass laws and do all the other government stuff. But at the start of each meeting, they set aside this time period for anyone from the public, not necessarily just Spokane residents, can sign up. And if they get a slot, then they get two minutes to go down to the front of the council chambers. And they have an audience, they have the council members all looking at them. And then they get to talk about stuff for two minutes. Yeah, one of the mo- the most famous probably city hall gadfly was a Spokane Valley resident named George McGrath, who was like famous enough for giving his thoughts at these open forums that he basically just being a, a consistent amateur curmudgeon got him an obituary in the papers when he passed away. And so it's almost like a regional voicing ground for people's concerns. But you were mentioning how it's theoretically supposed to be something about the affairs of the city, and that can be pretty broad. That vagueness has also been informing some of the other debates at City Hall, like what constitutes people standing up or turning their back or, you know, shouting people down or applauding. A lot of those rules are written vaguely, partially by necessity, but it's also creating problems. So it feels like this is a a piece of a larger conversation about how is Spokane going to communicate with itself. Mm. Does that feel fair? Yeah, definitely. I can see that. Yeah, And like you said also, the, the thing about Spokane City Council, you do get a lot of people coming down there from outside the city of Spokane, I think, just because, you know, not many people watch Liberty Lake City Council meetings. But with Spokane City Council, you've, you've got an audience, right? You've got a bunch of reporters there. It's often packed and you have people listening to you. Yeah. And that, that attracts a lot of people. Which is interesting because Liberty Lake, you get three minutes to speak and they will take an unlimited amount of speakers, I think, or at least at the last couple of meetings I went to, they stretched out to 11 because they put an open forum at the beginning and then another at the end. As many people as wanted to could sign up. Um, So the meeting's just like stretched, but not as much of an audience. And so for the last few years now, they've been limiting it at Spokane. It was at the beginning. And it was a two minute limit for people, but and they were limiting it to 15 speakers because there was a time in the past, if I remember correctly, where it was somewhat unlimited or there were at least more people allowed and it people used every second of all their time. Yeah. And, and I think in recent months, it's been full every single night, 15 people. So why does this matter from the perspective of people that think it matters? Why do people care so much about Open Forum? Why do people care so much about Spokane's Open Forum specifically? It's a chance, in theory, to hold elected officials accountable and make your voice heard, right? Say what you will about America, but this is a chance to literally look your politicians in the eye and yeah. criticize them, often very harshly. Yeah. And they have to listen to you. They have to sit there and you know listen for two minutes. Um, it's very, in theory, very democratic. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's worth noting that it's not necessarily a representative sample of right. citizens and constituents. It's people who have time on a Monday night, who yeah. care a lot about politics. But it is a way to make people's voices heard, and people do listen also. I think another key element of it is that public nature. We've heard a lot from activists that they don't want to have conversations behind closed doors or over emails because things can get miscommunicated or shut down or, you know, you say something to your representative and it feels like you get heard and then it never comes up again. And because that conversation was held in private, there's no public record of you expressing your opinion or your voice on that matter. So to do it in a public meeting on the record 
in a way that's recorded and broadcasted and noted. You're making your voice heard in a way that they have to keep track of. Mm -hmm. And and like the in-person nature of it also, I think, adds to that because it it does feel very, you know, it's it's kind of cozy down there. Everyone's all (laughs) all there together. And during COVID, when everything went remote, I think that did change the dynamic in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I I know in, in Seattle, there's been a lot of criticism because a lot of council members, despite the pandemic changing, will, will still tune in remotely to public comment, right. often from their offices a few feet down the hall. And the, the criticism there is like, well, shouldn't they have to actually like sit there and listen and face the criticism directly? Yeah. And the credit to Spokane is that they, they do that here. The council members actually do show up and sit there and listen. You can give testimony remotely mm-hmm. if you want. They added it during the pandemic for obvious reasons, and they've, they've kept that. So it's possible to to give testimony remotely, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. our council people are sitting there taking the heat. Yeah, and I'm actually, I'm actually surprised by how few people tend to give testimony remotely. It, it seems like the vast majority are people who actually make the time to show up there and find parking downtown and spend their Monday night sitting in these meetings. Yeah, yeah. We should just say, just for clarity and so everybody understands what's going on, this is also separate from the comment periods that are allowed on specific legislative items when they're doing a reading. So can you explain like what... We know what open forum is. There's also these comment periods that are available for people when they're debating a specific piece of legislation. Yeah, so whenever something comes up on the agenda, there is a public comment period where you get three minutes instead of two. Three minutes to share your thoughts on that specific piece of legislation. And they take an unlimited amount of signups for that. So they're not just going to hear 15 people testifying about something on the agenda. If there's, you know, 40 people down there who have opinions on item B, they will make time to hear all 40 of those comments. For every single item on the agenda, they make that Mm -hmm. space and time, as well as for the consent agenda as a whole. Yeah, and the other thing also is that if something is on the agenda that night, you can't talk about it during open forum. I was going to bring that up. If you're there to talk about a specific item of legislation, so the re-resolution on Israel-Palestine that we've been all been reporting on a lot, on the night that it's before the board, somebody at open forum couldn't come up and talk about Israel-Palestine. They would have to save it for when it's actually under discussion by the body later in the meeting. Yeah, and, and that, that's something that often causes confusion. You'll often see people signing up to talk about something during open forum that's on the agenda later that night, and then it's awkward, and council has to cut off their testimony halfway through. But they do generally say, hey, save that for later. We don't want to exclude them, your voice. They'll just yeah. move you. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but you're right, it is a point of confusion. Yeah. And you're also not allowed to testify on something that is on the advance agenda for the next week. Which means that people not only have to read the 400-page agenda for that night, which is usually available before the meeting, so you can see, like, there's this item coming up. If I want to testify on it, I'll sign up for that. But you also have to have a knowledge of what's on the advance agenda for the next week, because if you go to testify at Open Forum on something that's on the next week's agenda, Hmm. you'll get shut down for that as well. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Probably one of the more notable times when that was awkward was when the scraps controversy about scraps killing dogs was happening, and this adorable, like, 11-year-old kid got up and was giving testimony Hands during open shaking, forum. Reading. Like, please, council members, please don't kill my puppy friends. And then yeah. Jonathan Bingle said, point, point of order, actually, this is <laughs> you need to stop this and we can move this to the other public comment. And yeah. he, he was right, but it, yeah. it was <laughs> a great look. I think we can and will probably debate how effective open forum is as a tool for getting things done as opposed to just making your voice heard, right? That's kind of two different things. It's like, Letting council people know your opinion, is that actually going to turn into policy or is that going to make change? That's kind of an up-in-the-air thing. But it does feel like a pretty wholesome thing that mm-hmm. gets to happen, especially like when little kids get up. In my past life as an arts organizer, I've done 
I guess it probably wasn't open comment, but getting up and talking feels like a pretty important thing, you know, as cynical as I think everybody is probably like, I don't know, I took that more seriously than two minute talks I've given on other things. And it does really feel like a, a way for the community to come together. So we're focusing though on the, the open comment portion mostly before we get to that stuff, just to be clear, did council make any changes to comment periods of the specific legislation? So the technical changes included a provision that will let people sign up to testify on those items earlier okay. in advance. This is one of the Klitsky amendments. It also affects open forum, but for those who want to testify on a legislative item, they can sign up the Friday before the meeting. So as soon as an agenda goes live, they should be able to sign up for it. I think the new rules um, regarding like standing and stuff like that, Th those apply to those the same way, like giving your full name or not having to give your full name. The Dave right. M rule. The Dave M rule, yeah. How long has this been going on? Obviously, there's been a lot of action in the wake of the hastily um, done Israel-Palestine resolution on October 9th, I guess. It was two days after the October 7th Hamas attack. But it also seems like this has been an ongoing conversation. So what have been the contours of how that's shaped up? I think a lot of council members have had lingering frustrations about it. I think we saw that during the Matt Shea resolution, which was another thing that really animated people and created a lot of more chaotic open forum sessions. Yeah. And even before then, council members were talking about how they wanted to make this more orderly and fix some things. I think Lori Kinnear, when she became council president, she had a very different approach to it than Brian Beggs did. She was a bit stricter and less willing to tolerate the personal attacks that often happen and some of the more disruptive behavior. Yeah. I think Brienne was someone who was a bit more willing to kind of just let that happen. Yeah. Whereas with um, Kinnear, was, when she was council president, she shot that down more often. Yeah. yeah, I do feel like at least from some of the more free speech oriented city council members like Jonathan Bingle and Paul Dillon, who did ultimately vote no on the rule changes, Jonathan talked about he wants to hear all of this speech, wants it to be allowed, wants it to happen, but felt like maybe the fact that one issue dominated months and months of open forum meant that other people's voices were being left out. Like the guy who shows up to talk about how there shouldn't be fluoride in the water doesn't get a slot frequently because one issue is taking up 14 of those 15 slots. Mm -hmm. So for a couple of folks, it was, oh, this is a wake-up call that if there's organized action that is taking up time at Open Forum, it means that there's less time for the kind of random citizen that's like, hey, my pipes are two inches too small, or there's a pothole in my neighborhood, or these big trucks keep driving down residential streets. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, I think it's been especially stark just over the past four or five months, both with the, the Israel-Gaza resolution they passed in October, which was cr criticized by a lot of activists for being too friendly to Israel, yeah. and, and then the, the Matt Shea resolution also that they passed, condemning Mayor Woodward's appearance with him. And it is notable also that both those are resolutions that actually have no direct impact on city policy right but you know they, those are the two things i think that they're really emotional issues for a lot of people and they're really animating and they both drove just a crazy amount of turnout for weeks and weeks on end you would have the same people showing up every single week to complain about them yeah and it was eating up the vast majority of open forum time even last monday like two days ago there was still people showing up to testify about the matt shea resolution yeah which you know was from the fall there's yeah, still yeah. people who are like i'm still angry about this and right. you owe me an apology yeah and, and and again these are both resolutions which are just kind of words on paper making a value statement that don't actually have any direct impact on policy but 
We know that there's unlimited slots theoretically for stuff that's before the board. What's the argument in favor of giving people this limited window of open forum to talk about whatever they care about as long as it fits under this extremely broad banner of theoretically being city business? Can you talk about how that is used to just try to push things to the foreground that maybe aren't on the council's radar? Mm -hmm. Well, I think we've heard a lot of talk, especially from this new council, about the idea of what community engagement should look like. And I don't remember who said it, but somebody's like, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know who to talk to. Right. We don't know who to involve if we're not hearing from them. We can't invite you to join this process if we don't know who you are and that you're interested. And I think that is what I see as the biggest value of this open forum period is that people who maybe aren't getting direct reach outs from city council can come and say, hey, this is what's important to me. This is what's important to my community. You aren't doing any current city business on it. And that's a problem because yeah. you're overlooking my needs, my neighborhood's needs, my community's needs. And I'm here to tell you what you're missing. And even for stuff that doesn't really fall under the purview of city government, there's still the argument that city council is accessible. That's if someone has an issue that relates to state or national government they don't really have as many direct opportunities to bring that to politicians at that level, but they can bring it to city council. And city council actually does have connections to higher levels that they can maybe pass those concerns on. Well, our cities and counties and other municipalities do directly lobby the state legislature. That's actually happening right now because the state legislature is in session. It's probably a pretty circuitous route, but also not everybody always knows what's a state level thing and what's a city level thing, right? So you're coming with a problem that council may or may not be able to solve legislatively. There, it might be an administrative thing if it's within the purview of the city, or it might be a state thing, or I'm sure they have less sway over national politics and certainly <laughs> international geopolitics. But, you know, if it's like, oh, that's actually more of a state thing. And if we start hearing about that from constituents, at least in theory, and I'm not saying mm -hmm. any of this happens, but the theory is that the council people would be like, oh, we're hearing from constituents that this is a problem that we actually can't fix. So maybe we'll put that on our legislative agenda for the state, or we'll talk mm -hmm. to Senator Billig or Reps Ormsby and Richelli and try to see if there's a state fix. Yeah, definitely. So we talked about the shape of the conversation that sort of led to people wanting to change these open forum rules. Aaron, you mentioned a little bit about the people, mostly Paul Dillon and Jonathan Bingle, who were opposed to it. Cathcart also and, voted no. And I, and I would say, is it fair to say that in the lead up to the vote, Dylan and Bingle were the most vocally opposed to changing the rules. And then Cath and Cathcart didn't really have much to say, but old Cathcart ultimately voted to not change the rules. Yeah, I think Cathcart said publicly that his problem with the rules wasn't actually the changes to open forums. It was the changes to committee structures. Okay. So this whole rules package isn't just open forum and isn't just how you testify. There's committee on, stuff too. There's also how the council is structured and how votes come out of committee. Okay. And Councilmember Cathcart had some serious problems with the changes to committee structures. Yeah, because okay. yeah, th this is a pretty sweeping set of changes they passed on Monday. I and mean, we, we definitely don't, don't have time to get into all the kind of minute internal stuff. But there's a lot yeah. of stuff about deadlines for when council members can submit amendments and stuff like that and committee structures also which is a whole contentious thing internally and that is as i understand it an effort to get things like agendas out sooner so the the hope would be that then people are going to know what's coming up with more time which is good for us journalists and good for for and know, the public to make changes so instead of a massive amendment happening in a briefing session two hours before the meeting those amendments would have to hypothetically happen earlier so that people know what is even coming at yeah. the meeting right mm -hmm. so let's focus on on the open forum stuff who were the council members that spearheaded the reforms and what were the reasons they gave for changing the existing structure 
Council President Betsy Wilkerson is the one that introduced this to start with. And it's something that she had said while she was running for office that she would want to focus on a bit. Yeah. During the primaries when I interviewed her, she said that she felt like there had been somewhat of a lack of order during recent meetings. And she wanted to return to a more respectful environment and fix some of those issues. And then with the Israel-Gaza resolution and the fallout from that, I, I think she, she would say that some of those issues became more apparent, right? Yeah. And then obviously things came kind of came to a head during that whole incident when council members just left right. <laughs> the meeting. Yeah. This was in early November. Yeah. Yeah. And, and basically the context was that this was several weeks after the Israel-Gaza resolution had passed and the activists were continuing to show up and criticize it and call for it to be changed. But there had also been this issue popping up in recent weeks where whenever the activists tried to mention any of the council members by name, they would be shot down and told that was against the rules. And that was a whole decorum rule thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it wasn't it was a new rule, but... A very was, strange interpretation of It was of a reinterpreted... Old... Yeah, because yeah, the, the rule said, like, speakers shall address the council president when talking, yeah. which <laughs> I, I guess if, if you really look at it hard, you can kind of interpret that as saying you can't mention other council members, but it, it was a strange one. They got a lot of pushback. Yeah. Yeah, um, folks would say something like, council president Kinnear, last week, council member Bingle did X, Y, Z. Point of order, that's not... Yeah. Right. And so, and actually, that was fine to do under Beggs. And from our reporting, that was fine to do under Stucker. Mm -hmm. But Council President Kinnear, who was the caretaker president between uh, when Brian Beggs left office and when Wilkerson was elected, interpreted it differently to basically be like, you can't reference anybody, which advocates for open forum and free speech stuff said, we can't hold our people accountable if we can't put the way they voted on the record and then directly mm -hmm. criticize it. Yeah, and, and so that had been an issue for like a few weeks. And then Justice for All, who's an activist with SCAR, was trying to give testimony about the Israel-Gaza resolution. Reading a transcript of a previous city council meeting, like stuff that had happened that in the, the chambers. Rules. Yeah, and, and by basically saying like, Bingle, quote, said XYZ yeah, at yeah. the October 9th meeting. Yeah. And, and then Lord Kinnear said, point of order, don't do that. And then yeah. Justice for All would, would continue doing that. And, and then people started chanting for Palestine. And then yeah. council members just left the meeting and please flooded in. Police came. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was a whole, whole very chaotic, dramatic yeah. thing. And no, nothing bad happened. They just continued holding open forum on their own, actually, which was interesting. Yeah, they even made space for speakers who very notably and publicly disagree with everything they were there mm -hmm. promoting. They created space for Will Healings to come up and give testimony. I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up. It seems like in within the body, the most progressive council member, Paul Dillon, of the new members, and one of the, if not the most conservative council member, Jonathan Mingle, are the ones who are like really saying we shouldn't change much. And you see that mirrored on the activist side where we have Justice for All, who uses they, them pronouns, was on the side of and actively encouraging Will Hewlings to get up and speak. And Will Hewlings is a former Proud Boy who frequently uses queerphobic slurs on the record and just right. wherever he feels like yelling them. And so that was a really interesting parallel, mm -hmm. I thought, in the debate. Yeah, and that's happened several times now when they've, they've both kind of agreed that, hey, this is stupid, we should be allowed to talk. They're both some of the more prolific speakers every yeah, week when yeah. they want to have a chance to say what they want to say. Yeah. We saw that on, on Monday's testimony about the rule changes to strange bedfellows on both sides are up there saying, don't change the rules. I might not agree with anything these pro-Palestine speakers have been saying for the last two months, but I still support mm -hmm. their right to get up and speak. Yeah. And I maybe learn something from them sometimes. And I hope they learn something from me sometimes when I talk. But either way, both of our rights to speak should be protected and preserved here. So Wilkerson was the spearhead. It also seems like Councilmember Zappone was one of the people, at least quietly, mm -hmm. he's expressed frustration about open forum. 
I, I, I think he gets a lot of personal insults also. Just, I mean, people see him as a liberal, but there's right. there's also been coded stuff people have said about in his sexuality that wasn't right. great. Yeah, Zach caught some very targeted flack during the Matt Shea resolution. Right. So what were the proposed changes? And then let's after that, we'll go into kind of what the discussion was like and how the mm-hmm. ultimate vote went. Yeah, so right off the bat, January 1st, the big controversial one was that Betsy Wilkerson proposed moving open form to just once per month instead of every week. Yeah. And that would be 40 speakers instead of 15. But that just caught a lot of backlash. Like, people did not love the idea that they'd only be allowed to talk once per month. And so Council President Wilkerson walked that one back fairly quickly. But the, the other proposed changes in this very long, comprehensive list of updates, one that a lot of regular attendees celebrated was the fact that they're increasing the total number from 15 to 20. Okay. Because a lot of people do express frustration about trying to sign up every night and then not being able to get a slot. The other ones that were more controversial included moving open form to the end of the meeting instead of at the beginning. And then there's the ban on standing, which we kind of mentioned earlier. Because the the decorum stuff is like the current rules. You can't boo, you can't clap, you can't wave signs. And that's something that was implemented in in my living memory anyways, because people were like clapping and booing Mm. and yelling out of turn. And so there were steps taken to basically be like, don't talk if you're not at the dais. The rules about not screaming at people when when you don't have the floor have been in place for a long time. And activists had done on both on all sides had done steps to sort of get around that to show their support without actively breaking those decorum rules, including doing things like sometimes holding up a piece of green paper or a piece of red paper or turning their back to a speaker or standing up and turning their back to the council person when they're talking to voice displeasure about something or actually just standing up and facing front when they agree with the person, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so most of that sort of it's speech, this is all speech, even if it's not verbal language, those things have more or less been banned now as well, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And the argument for banning standing is that it's it can be distracting, it can be a little disrespectful, and that it can basically block other people's views. That's the argument there. And the, the argument against doing that is that it's an expression of free speech, like you said, right? Even if you can't clap or boo, you can still show opposition in some way. It's yeah. political expression. Yeah. And signing up to speak can be a really intimidating thing. It can be right. a limiting thing. Right. A speaker on Monday talked about like you have to share a name to sign up, and if you choose to sign up with your personal name, that can lead to you getting doxxed or harassed because right. you've chosen to speak in that forum. So <laughs> to stand silently from the audience is a way to show your representatives, I support this or I don't support this. I'm your constituent, and here's how I feel about it without signing up or speaking on the record. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the new rule changes don't seem to say anything about thumbs up or thumbs down. I wouldn't be surprised if that starts happening now. It seems li- really, really likely that people are always going to be testing the boundaries of any sort of you know mm-hmm. decorum rules that we have. The argument that standing up is a, a way for somebody who might feel scared to come to the dais to voice their opinion without after having to get up, you know, if they have social anxiety or whatever. I think the same argument can be made counter to that, though, too. It's like, it's hard enough for me to get up. And if I get up and there's a bunch of people standing up behind me, I could see an argument that would freak me out. That's something Wilkerson mentioned in an interview with Range in December as well. Of Like, it's it can be really intimidating, I think, was the language that she used for folks. And if we want to make open forum more accessible shouldn't we be thinking about making it less intimidating and scary to sign up so i really do think there's that tension that for some people 
that speech is scary and to do it silently from the audience is an accessible way to speak. And for others, it's that speech happening behind you affects your ability to speak or be heard. And I'm, I'm not trying to come down on one side or the other because I can see aspects of both arguments. I can understand why you might want to just stand up to voice solidarity and why you might want to like not feel like there's actively people doing weird shit behind you while you're trying to get out what you're trying to say and maybe feeling anxious about it. Mm -hmm. So were there any other changes that you feel like are really important? I think they are preventing open forum speakers from using visual aids or distributing visual aids, which I do think is a pretty significant change. What was their rationale for doing that? I'm not 100% sure what their rationale really, was. It wasn't clear that they, is it just a logistics thing that it, they not want like a ti- porn It might be a timing thing. If they're trying to get through open forum, having to do the tech stuff in between speakers, my, I could see them making a timing argument. But mm-hmm. essentially in the city hall chambers, there's a large projector screen. You can see the folks who are zooming in right. digitally. And when agenda items have unnecessary materials, maps or diagrams, they'll sure. project it up on the screen. And up until Monday, citizens had been able to email visual aids or things that would assist their argument to the city clerk and have those projected up or they could distribute stuff to the city council members to look at like packets and it doesn't seem like either of those things are going to be allowed people are pretty frustrated with that because it seems like it's preventing them from making their case in the best possible way especially when you only have two minutes sometimes a visual for whatever you're trying to present can be more quickly pictures worth a thousand words Mm. and whatnot it can be easier to demonstrate what you're trying to say through some sort of digital proof or something yeah as opposed to trying to explain it Mm -hmm. yeah does that rule change also apply to the public comment periods on specific legislation or are people going to still be able to do presentations for that i'm pretty skeptical of a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) and any limit on speech i'm going to be very skeptical of period You cannot. No person shall be permitted to display visual information during their testimony, including but not limited to presentations, videos, or other media. However, you can still share it with the council by emailing them, but it doesn't guarantee that gets looked at or that other people who are in attendance at that meeting will be able to see those items. That, That feels pretty significant to me. Yeah. Yeah. Another small change. You're no longer allowed to film except from designated areas. And that one, I think, is partially in response to just like there, there are a lot of people who will come in with cameras and film from various areas and walk around. I think a few people have said it feels intimidating. It doesn't make it super clear what the designated areas are. I mean, it includes like media and stuff like that. But I, I, it is a little strange to have like you know special rules for media. There's like a public interest mm-hmm. case for just letting random people record things. These are public meetings. There's no presumption of privacy in these meetings. Washington's a two-party consent state for recording, mm-hmm. but not in public spaces. These are definitely public spaces. That also feels like a thing that could, whether or not you want random people roaming around, you know, (laughs) I mean, Will Hewlings is frequently pacing back and forth recording these meetings in a way that some people find intimidating. And I'm not going to make a value judgment on that, but it does potentially limit the ability of journalists to document or or community activists to be like, oh, most of my team, most of my neighborhood can't come to these meetings. I'm recording it for Mm -hmm. them. You could see that being a limitation and if they're corralling people they're going to want to have a space for just the public mm-hmm. to sit alongside the media in those corrals i would think yeah, yeah certainly I, I think the city of spokane does deserve a lot of credit here for just how they are actually recording their meetings like they, they have a very thorough audio and video setup that yeah. like I, I don't bother to record meetings because i'm confident that they'll have one afterwards which is not the case with most agencies right 
and it's actually kind of been burning us the last couple of weeks as we're doing more reporting on other agencies. We're like, oh, wait, we can't just find this meeting. So, yeah, I think it's, it's important to give credit. Documenters is part of a national framework for doing this work in different cities. And there are a, like a lot of places in the Midwest where newsrooms are having to sue to even get access to public meetings sometimes. And even in the Central Valley of California, like Fresno, we're hearing about like they've had to do a lot of work. So I do think that we are lucky in Washington, probably, and then by and large in the city of Spokane, there's above and beyond what state law requires levels of access, and then cer- and certainly ease of accessing archival materials, right? Like, you can just mm-hmm. find these things on living on Facebook, but that doesn't absolve them of the people's criticisms of these rule changes mm-hmm. that limit speech. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So as we're sort of wrapping up here and talking about the future, what other big things were there? And what was maybe some of what was the discussion like? Again, like we said, Dylan and Bingle have been agreeing more than any of us expected them to agree in mm-hmm. Dylan's early tenure. Go ahead. So the one other big thing that I wanted to highlight was that they did flesh out the term affairs of the city. Uh, in the 2023 okay. rules, it, it, it did say that at Open Forum, your testimony had to relate to the affairs of the city, but that line had been criticized as being unfairly applied or having just a lot of room for interpretation depending on who the city council president is and how they're defining what affairs of the city are. Right, yeah. But in the 2024 draft, um, they, they've fleshed it out and clarified what does and doesn't fall under that, so hopefully it can be less subjectively applied. Yeah, there, 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 was, there was a moment this spring when Caleb Collier, um, who's, who's from Spokane Valley, and he's kind of an organizer on, on, on the political right, came in with a bunch of church members, and they were just using open form to read scripture, just like back to back. And that prompted debate about like, how is this related to the affairs of the city, right? right? And I, I think Jonathan Bingle argued, argued to let them continue, because it's right. hypothetically related. But that's an example of where that can be really a great line. What are the high points of those six specific things? Any matter that is within the legislative, fiscal, or regulatory purview of the city. So basically anything that the city council could have a direct impact on. Any ordinance, resolution, or act adopted by the city council. So anything they've previously passed. Any rule adopted by the city. The delivery of city services and operations of city departments. So if you're there to testify about when your garbage is getting picked up, that's also relevant. As well as any act of members of the city council, the mayor, or the members of the administration. So that one being fleshed out felt like a direct response to people saying, like, if you come to testify about what former mayor Nadine Woodward is doing on her off time, that's not relevant. But they're saying you can come talk about any act done by a city official. Um, and any other matter deemed by the council president to fall within the affairs of the city. So that's sort of the catch-all to either allow them to allow things that might not strictly follow those rules or mm-hmm. exclude them. So it's at the discretion of the president. But it can be overridden by a majority vote of the council members present. And that's actually just pretty common part of their rules. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So theoretically... Let's go back to the the Israel-Palestine thing. That's, you know, international geopolitics. Under these rules, theoretically, you would say that if and the council people across the board have said, we, we, we're not going to weigh in on these things anymore the way we did with that resolution on October 9th, that probably we shouldn't have done that at all. So if there were a resolution in the future, people could comment on that. Well, and I think the fact that they have a resolution at all has opened that door under right. these rules whether because a resolution has not. been adopted. Yeah, yeah. Now they can talk about it forever. Now people can talk about it forever. But it, so let's just assume in the future there were a new resolution about a different geopolitical conflict. This is where I think the even the vagueness of that comes up. Cause you could say 
okay, we have, we're not going to take a position on this, so you can't talk about it either. But like a lot of the conversation, especially on the pro-Palestinian side, was this global war is causing Islamophobia, that Islamophobia has real-world impacts in Spokane, therefore we need to be talking about it. It maybe would just shift, theoretically, shift the tone to be less about the international conflict and more about its impact on local people. Like, hey, you mm-hmm. need to take action on this because people are getting targeted for hate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I mean, like city council opened this up themselves, right, when they passed that resolution. Yeah. And there have been a lot of people on the conservative end of the spectrum saying these activists, don't they realize you know, this has nothing to do with Spokane? Why are yeah. they wasting our time? And Jonathan Bingle has actually pushed back on that and said, hey, actually, no, this is fair. We passed this. People have a right to come in and tell us it was a bad idea. Yeah. And yeah, there's the argument also that it does have an impact in yeah. Spokane. There are members of the Muslim and Jewish community here who are feeling this conflict really strongly. And that's for sure relevant. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the discussion, how, how heated did it get? Did it lead to any amendments or did it seem like all of this stuff was more or less decided before the meeting and people were resolved to vote how they voted? There were a couple amendment attempts that kind of went in circles for a while, um, as, as they often do. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, Kitty Klitschke had, had an amendment in, involving how the randomization process works. Did you say randomization process? Yeah. So can you explain what the randomization process is? Before the rule changes, basically, they tried to make sure everyone had a chance to speak. So if you've already spoken during open forum once that month, you would not be prioritized. They would try to prioritize someone who hasn't spoken. Yeah. And that's because there, there are at least a dozen people who sign up. Very, every week. Every week, yeah. And they're regulars. And if they had two hours to talk, they would use all of it. Yeah, that seems totally reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Klitsky's idea to make that a bit more fair was to have a sort of randomize the people who sign up at a certain time, basically. And expand that amount of time that you could sign up for. So mm-hmm. you can start signing up earlier. On, earlier online and in person to make it fair for people who can't race over to city council as soon as they get off work and put their name on a list. They have almost a whole weekend to put their name on a list. And then all of those would be hypothetically dumped into an Excel sheet, projected up onto the screen at city council and randomized in front of people because Councilmember Cathcart had a problem with the transparency aspect of that and wanting to make sure that members of certain political orientations were, we're being prioritized yeah, or sense. getting preference. So they did clarify at that meeting that it would be projected in front of everybody. People could watch the randomization happen. Because I like, personally appreciated one of those rolly bingo things, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, the little cage and, and yeah. balls. I, I th- yeah, I think he had some some fun idea for that, like... Um, yeah, and it could hypothetically make things more accessible because if you know tune in to the meeting at home and they do this at the top of the meeting and you find out, oh, hey, I signed up for open forum, but I wasn't picked to speak, you now don't have to drive down. And since it's at the end of the meeting, you could not go to you could sign up for open forum, not show up at the meeting unless you got selected to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's talk about that specifically then. One of the bigger changes, especially for people who want to use this not only to speak to, their representatives, but also to speak to the Spokane public in general and just, who you know, whoever those incredible souls are who just like tune into City Cable 5 for fun on Mondays, <laughs> which includes most journalists, I know, probably. <laughs> Obviously, they've decided to move this open comment to the end. And so again, I'm just making everybody's best case to be generous to all sides. They're like, we want the open comment still. We're going to move it to the end so that we can make sure it's not interrupting city business if it runs too long or gets too chaotic. That's the case for moving it to the end. The case against moving it to the end is fewer people are going to be watching at the end of a three-hour meeting than at the beginning of a three-hour meeting. So can you talk through how that discussion went? And, and there, there are a lot of angles to that, right? Because like it's open form is not necessarily the most important part of a meeting. Like They have actual laws to pass, and yeah. the argument is that they want to prioritize that. And even though it is limited to 15 speakers, open form can drag out. 
The best argument I've seen for putting open forum at the beginning, though, is that at the beginning of every meeting, they do like salutations and proclamations, and sometimes mm-hmm. people read poetry or talk about a special day or some city employee that's worked there for a long time. And I think the best argument I've heard is like, okay, put that at the end and put open forum at the beginning. Just switch mm-hmm. those two. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where like different people have different schedules, right? Yeah. So it's going to be better for some people and it's going to be worse for other people having right. it at the end. And it just depends on when you get off work and how late you want to stay up that night. Yeah. And how late the meeting ends up going, because if the end of the meeting is at 8, that's a lot different than if the end of the meeting is at 10.31 p.m. Yeah, as it was last Monday, which was a little exhausting. Yeah. I don't think that's the latest it's gone this year, but it was up there. And they do have a stipulation written in that they do not have to hold a meeting that goes after 10. So if city business drags until 10 they don't have to vote to extend the meeting to include open forum interesting so they can kill it if they need to if if other th- things have run too long dragged it to mm-hmm. 10 yeah. yeah okay 10 seems to be the cutoff mm-hmm. yeah they, they, they usually seem to vote to extend it though if they need yeah. to all right i think we've already talked through most of the changes but we could just go through them really quickly here so we're moving it to the end of the meeting it's still two minutes each but it's been increased from 15 to 20 speakers it's not going to monthly it's still going to be every week it's just going Mm -hmm. to be at the end we're allowing signups earlier and there's going to be some sort of randomization process (laughs) for the speaker order then that actually went through yes those amendments passed okay and then the decorum stuff that kind of affects the entire meeting which is like standing signaling support disapproval probably doesn't apply to hand signals maybe like thumbs up and thumbs down but we don't know it's not written in yet (laughs) yeah right and also you you can still stand up to go to the bathroom there there are a few people confused about that but you yeah one this wasn't the point of the criticism but an activist aaron and i spoke to the other day was like well what if people have back problems and they just need to stand up it's like Mm -hmm. there are accommodations for ada obviously they're not gonna kick people out for having a bad back yeah i I mean like i stand up and leave meetings and just stand in the lobby for five minutes often because sitting down for four hours sucks um yeah and i think yeah yeah even if you don't have old man back it can be a lot (laughs) it seems like the point of the rule regardless of any of the ada concerns that they also talked about when people stand you can't see the meeting right it seems like the point is to squash silent dissent for sure. Mm-hmm. One small thing they added recently is they added a, a very large TV in the lobby that streams the meeting. Um, oh, interesting. Great so speakers out there, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So probably for overflow, but also if like you need to get up and take a break, you can just go out and continue mm-hmm. watching the meeting in the hall and conceivably be there, hear your name called more easily yeah. if you're on the list. Okay. Yeah. A, a lot of people prefer to just watch meetings in the, in the lobby anyway, because you, you can talk out there, actually. And oh, yeah. There's, there's often an interesting crowd mingling. Yeah. There was also the Dave M. rule, which we talked about. <laughs> so you, you have to actually sign up with a name. And it, has, it doesn't have to be your actual name? Or what? how does it work? This is a very, one of those very cyclical arguments mm-hmm. Nate was talking about. Some of the language said your name. Some of the language said your true name. <laughs> And ultimately, after Bingle brought up a fight that happened last year, the Dave M. rule, where yeah. uh, it resident... happened several times, yeah, yeah, he actually, he actually filed an ethics complaint about that, also, which yes. is how we learned his real name, his real last name, Miller. Oh, uh, which Miller. Is, I, I had the conspiracy that it was Dave Matthews for the longest time, and I was trying <laughs> to tell people that, but no, it's unfortunately not. He was tripping Billy. Um, yeah, but so because of that, I don't really want to continue to have that drag out fight about what name you have to sign up under they ultimately amended it to read a name so you have to sign up with a name it doesn't have to be your name it doesn't have to be your true name it just has to be a name that doesn't really seem like anything well bingle said it could be mickey mouse you could sign up as mickey mouse that doesn't that seems like a rule without a purpose we'll see Mm -hmm. how 
people push the limits of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried because like I, I quote people who say stuff during public testimony often because it's helpful, right? But like, oh yeah, it's yeah. not going to make it easier for a journalist. Yeah, for sure. yeah, but I mean, you could also be like, I'm going to get up and talk about bike infrastructure and the name I'm giving is Free Palestine, mm-hmm. right? Like you can conceivably see that happening. Yeah, it's probably will. <laughs> yeah, okay. but. They are, yeah, they can't enforce you signing up with your name. Mm, yeah, okay. I do think a degree of anonymity, I think concerns about doxing are... Definitely uh, fair. It's hard because I think council members want to know, A, are people from Spokane? And mm. B, what district do they live in? They want to know, are these my constituents? Are these issues that they're directly facing? And I yeah, think some of those questions are fair. But then mm. also, if you do have to sign up with your full first and last name and you say something that somebody disagrees with and they track you down and harass you and make your life hell because you chose to speak at a city council meeting that doesn't feel fair or good either when yeah. people on all ends of the political spectrum are getting fired from their jobs for speech sometimes and so i mean yeah it's definitely fraught yeah and i think so, some context for this also and some of the other changes is that over the past year or so i think a lot of council members have voiced increasing concern about just their own safety yeah sometimes when there's an anonymous person yelling at them through the phone they don't know who it is they're worried about that and th- there were several incidents last year with death threats being left to city hall and stuff like that Uh, Um, yeah and news just broke like two days ago that through her whole term nadine woodward had a stalker there's a spokesman story from alexandra duggan Mm -hmm. that woodward had a stalker that like followed her around yeah and and i I know council staffers who don't go to the regular monday night meetings because they're afraid of people who show up every night and so the safety security concerns are kind of um a subtext of some of these changes for sure all right. So last question is the engagement of the last couple months that we've seen that wasn't entirely what brought these rule changes about, but, you know, was maybe the, the final straw that led to this stuff happening now. Has this been a success of civic democracy? And do we think that or do our sources think that it's going to meaningfully impact negatively civic democracy in Spokane? Like, what are the pros and cons here? I mean, I think definitely the the activists who've been speaking regularly about Israel and Palestine, they feel like this is further attempts to silence their speech. I, I think they would also say that their efforts over the past few months have been a success because they made council members listen and sit through very harsh criticism for months on end. Yeah. And it resulted in council members saying, okay, we're going to write a new resolution and you're invited to help us out with that. Yeah. And the, the new Israel re- resolution they passed last week is pretty mild and it kind of walks down the middle, but the activists say it's an improvement and it's better and it isn't as problematic as the first one. So right. I think that they, they would call that a success and also frankly getting a lot of people engaged in city politics who maybe care a lot about Israel and Palestine but weren't super involved before. Another comment that I heard that I actually thought was pretty interesting and I want to get your guys' thoughts on was from an activist who said, not only are we holding people accountable for these like 7-0 or maybe 5-2 mm-hmm. votes where it's just like everybody's voting down the line or, and actually I'm thinking about the police contract, not the vote that ultimately passed last year, but there was a moment where this contract that nobody seemed to like, the first version of the police contract was going to pass 7-0 because nobody wanted to be seen as voting against a police contract. Right. And this was mostly backroom activists, working people to like get one person to flip and then another person to flip and then all of a sudden the budget failed and they had to they sent it back for more work the one of the activists we spoke with on background made the 
case that no we're actually by being there voicing it's actually giving council members political cover to be like mm -hmm. no i'm going to vote against this too because listen to all these voices that are coming out against it now i feel more comfortable mm -hmm. voting against it i mean i think we saw that on monday mm -hmm. i talked to paul dylan on the record and he told me that he received over a hundred emails just about the open forum rule changes and not a single one of those hundred emails was in favor of the rule changes mm -hmm. so that along mm -hmm. with the what how many people would you say testified like 30 oh yeah testified at least and i think maybe one of them could be interpreted mm -hmm. as in favor of the okay. rule changes and yeah. so to have 130 constituents being like hey don't change these rules and now he is one of two mm. no votes yeah. on that because you've got constituents saying hey don't do this and you can be seen as listening to your constituents yeah. and have that cover of like this is what the people want. They don't want us to change this. And I'm listening to the people that I'm supposed to be here representing. Yeah. And, and the, the argument some people raise against that is, is that it's not necessarily representative of the people, right? And that the, these people come to open forum often in a very organized way through different groups that have helped them sign up and distribute talking points. And also with like emails too, right? People copy and paste those. And it can definitely be a way to not like AstroTurf, but show but, support that's not necessarily fully organic. For sure. I don't know if this is getting too close to a personal opinion, but I feel like maybe the people whose opinions should matter most on open forum are the people who are using open forum. That is a good point. Yeah. All right. Any last takeaways before we settle up here? What should we be looking for in the future? Five minute speed round. We're th what less than three weeks into this new council, new mayor. We're working on stories where we're seeing how the, the political changes just within Spokane city are starting to bleed into the county. It actually seems like it's, it's a lot different than the last couple of years. So what do you all see happening just in terms of maybe vibe at the council and how's that going to affect our regional politics? Yeah. And in, in terms of like council vibes, I definitely know that the council's two person conservative minority is feeling increasingly frustrated now that yeah. Brown's in office and there's another five person progressive majority now. Yeah. And um, it's worth noting that those two conservatives represent the same district, mm -hmm. which means that if they get shut out of things constantly, that district's constituents are also by proxy getting shut out of these conversations. Yeah, yeah. And, and is it fair to say that it's it's still a five to two liberal quote unquote majority, but it's a more progressive set of liberals than I, I we had certainly. last time? Okay. Yeah. It feels that way to me. And it also maybe even beyond ideology, it feels like they're also working together a little bit more tightly mm -hmm. than the last group did. Yeah, I think a lot of them are more strongly aligned. And I think that's frustrating if you're the two-person minority and you're right. getting stripped of committee assignments. On Monday, Cathcart was really frustrated about no longer council president pro tem, no longer the public safety chair, right. not getting any STA board seats. So one thing that'll be interesting is just how those two continue to navigate having a Brown administration and this five-person majority they have to deal with. Right, what about you? I'm curious about enforcement of some of these rules. Yeah. There's also another section in the rules as a whole that allows the council president to gavel a meeting. Like it lays out yeah. what would be necessary for a council president to adjourn a meeting early, which is something that Lori Kinnear faced pretty heavy criticism for. Right. In well, Ben Stuckert back in the day, like that's we quoted him in that story. He's like, people n never forgave me for the one time he gaveled a meeting closed. And if... And he obviously had political aspirations beyond council president. He thinks that impacted his ability to win mayor against Woodward. Obviously, Kinnear's not trying to do another office, but it's, people really care about gaveling meetings early, it feels like. 
Yeah, and now there's a more clear path to gavel meetings early in the rules. People seem pretty frustrated about some of the open forum rule changes, and I think we're just going to continue to see more and more heated issues come up for discussion at City Council Mm -hmm. and how that gets handled with enforcement and adjournments. And is changing the rules going to negatively impact how the City Council can handle city business? Do do either of you have any thoughts on whether actually having more clearly defined rules for gaveling makes it less arbitrary and they're le- therefore less likely to happen or in lining out these rules they're sort of giving themselves cover for doing it more often or do you have a thought on that <laughs> I could see it go either way honestly yeah i'm always in favor of making things less subjective because yeah. that gets applied negatively against people who are in the minority or people who are vocal and having objectivity laid out in the rules can help with that but i'm curious to see if that gets exercised at all this year yeah definitely i also think we've talked a lot about the israel palestine resolution but in the last couple of months you mentioned scraps and matt shea and it just seems like more and more people are using these forums and Mm. are coming and speaking on issues that they're passionate about. And so I'm hoping that in 2024, even though the rules have changed and open forum is at the end, I hope that we do continue to see an uptick of civic engagement because it's so incredibly important to actually have constituents down there talking instead of just Mm -hmm. when an agenda item comes up and they say there's no one signed up to speak and none of the council members give commentary and a vote just happens and there's no context on the public record for how people actually feel about it. Yeah, I definitely think it's, it's an important thing for people to be able to have that opportunity. I am remembering that, though, like in the in the Chad Wendell emails with like the police chief, if you remember those, you know, one of those emails was the police chief asking Chad Wendell to organize his friends to come down and testify at public forum. <laughs> right. 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 And like that, you know, something I try to keep in mind anytime there's a large group of people testifying, you never know what, you know, how organized it is. Right. Right. And stuff like that. But also, like, I think most of the past few months has been really organic and people who just really care strongly and make the choice on their own to come down and testify. Um, And theoretically, like, you know, popular support is one of the ways that we should be running our democracy, right? If this really is a democracy, people's voices should matter in these things. And so whether it's whether they're rallied by (laughs) the police chief or a really active activist on the left, it is still speech. And the demonstration of an organized political structure behind it is not necessarily a counter argument against Mm -hmm. public will, right? Maybe it's just like people really have not been listening to us and therefore we've started organizing. Like we, we're seeing actually, back to Israeli-Palestine for a second, that group, Inland Northwest Coalition for the Liberation of Palestine, came out of this, an active organization that didn't exist before. And that does not feel like an astroturfed organization. That feels like a pretty organic outgrowth of feeling erased by the first resolution and being like, we need to build a little bit of power here through organizing. Yeah, I'm also really... I. Don't know if we can use this time to give a shout out, but the Mac movement folks that are down there with the food with a side of free speech, they come to every meeting regardless of whether or not they talk. They do chalk art outside. They give food to people. And it's all like an effort to get people to show up and civically engage, whether you're speaking on issues or whether you're just attending meetings and knowing what's going on and what impacts you. It seems like the engagement and the level of people who are paying attention to what is happening at these meetings is growing. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I would encourage anyone to come by and speak your mind. It's great. Great civic engagement. And 
probably Nate and Aaron will be there to yeah, uh, furiously taking notes on yeah, everything. Yeah. yeah. Or just live tweeting. <laughs> one, one thing I'm remembering is when, when Caleb Collier brought in wine and communion wafers and tried to ask council members to partake in that during, during his uh, open forum, the new rules do not say you can't do that. So who, it, who knows what's going to happen? It just sat on the podium all night because none of them came and took any and he left it when he left. So all of the rest of the speakers that night just gave their, their testimony in front of wafers. I, I kind of wanted to grab some. It's a late <laughs> night meeting. <laughs> that was a local wine. All right. Well, this is great. We're, we're going to have to have you back on, Nick. This is a really good yeah. conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, appreciate it. Okay. Was that or was that not the most interesting discussion of public meeting decorum and commenting policies you've ever heard in your whole life? Mm, does it matter if it was the first and only discussion of decorum rules you've heard in your life? I mean, I, that's not an answer I can give on your behalf. But if this was the first discussion of public meeting decorum and commenting policies you've heard, <laughs> the, the next one you hear is going to have a really high bar to clear. Let's just say that, okay? Thank you to Aaron Sellers, my colleague at Range, and to Nate Sanford, whose work you can find weekly at The Inlander, for coming on and explaining all of that to us. Aaron and I will be back next week with a different guest. That's right, we're bringing the podcast back. We're going to try to do it weekly. Weekly is absolutely the goal. How quickly we're going to get to weekly remains to be seen, but we've rejiggered some stuff, tweaked some things in our lives, got some new software. We'd love to hear your feedback on any and all aspects of this episode. I felt a little rusty. Aaron did a great job. Nate did a great job. We're also using different editing software that's going to hopefully streamline the production process to make it a lot easier to get this out to you guys. But this is my first rodeo with it, so feel free to give me any feedback, including sound quality. This program has a lot less tweaking capability, or at least if there are tweaking capabilities for the audio quality, I haven't discovered them yet, which doesn't actually mean anything. Doesn't mean they don't exist. Just means I'm too old to be learning new things. So just let me know what you guys think and we'll go from there. I want to thank Brennan Pointer and Spokast Studios for recording this for us. I also want to thank our other colleagues at Range, especially Val Osher for not getting too mad when Erin and I told her we were going to be doing this episode. She's the one managing workloads and gets rightly angry whenever we try to do something new. Range is a member-supported newsroom, so if you like the work we do and you want to support us, you can become a member at rangemedia.co. And there's a little subscriber membership link at the top right there. Memberships start at 10 bucks a month, which is pretty cheap and a great way to support local media. That's my sexy give us money voice. Why would you need to give us money? To ensure that the content that we are bringing to you is sustainable and we can continue paying ourselves to do this work. Man, I am really rusty on the pitch. My brain is tired from learning new things, this new podcasting software. So <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. All right. We're out. Awesome. We don't fix that in post. That was great. Hell yeah. How long was that, Brennan? Long, Luke. Hour and 15 minutes. That's not, I mean, dude. You I, said a tight 45, best. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that is technically close to double. <laughs> <laughs>